You're listening to a podcast from Jubilee Church, Farnham. To find out more, visit www.jubilee.church. We come to the, the Word now, and we're continuing this morning in our series, which we're calling Look Again, where we're looking at passages, passages which are perhaps familiar to many of us, and just having a look at them. Is, is there something we've missed? Is there something new um, in, uh, in this passage. And uh, today's passage is from Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your apps, you might want to turn to that. Uh, but so that I don't use up all of my voice, um, I wondered, would you guys be able to, to read this passage to me? That would be marvellous if you could do that. So starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves... Fantastic. Thank you so much. Saving my voice. Now, sometimes when we read a passage like this, we can read it as a sort of standalone set of text, like it, like it exists in a vacuum. And I think that can especially be a danger um, if it's some familiar text. Many of you here will have heard this, this bit of text before. Maybe it's new to you, but for many of you, you'll have heard this before. Perhaps a, a passage succinctly sort of encapsulates a meaning or a message. And that's great, but it can sometimes mean that we might leave behind some of the, the useful context um, that, is, that is around it. Now, this passage here, um, this is a familiar passage to me. If somebody was to ask me, Dave, what was the early church like? What did they do? This is, you know, the place where I would jump to. And perhaps when I've read it in the past, and maybe read it as a standalone section of text, there's certain conclusions that I've jumped to. So firstly, I jump to reading this. This sounds like you know, a really sort of mature group of believers. They've got their priorities sorted. They've got themselves organized. And in this passage, perhaps we've got certain requirements, requirements for the church, like a kind of form of what church or church services should be like, what they should contain. And also, maybe I can read into this that it was down to the devotion of those early believers that sort of spurred on the onward sort of existence and growth of the church. And having spent some time mulling over this passage and reading through it and around and so on, I still think all of those are true to, to some extent. But actually, maybe I'm missing something if it's just that. So we're going to look at three aspects this morning. Firstly, we're going to have a look at where did this group of early believers come from? What was their background? How did they get to this point that we read about in our passage today? Secondly, we're going to have a look at more detail in this passage. What, what was it that they were doing? But most importantly, how was it that they were doing these things? And then thirdly, we're going to have a look at the sort of ongoing existence and purpose of the church. Okay. Now, you'll all know that Jesus chose his 12 disciples, these guys here. Quite a nice picture of them here. They look very holy, don't they? And... Uh, Got lovely clothes on, lovely robes, colourful. Presumably that was important, so people would have respected them as they sort of preach, you know, looking smart there. A number of them have got scrolls and books, so presumably these are you know, very, very well-educated um, people. Some silver hair going on there, so obviously Jesus must have chosen people who were a bit older. Lots of life experience, right, to bring to this um, role. And, and these guys is from this picture as well. We can work out that, you know, they were clearly prepared for everything, you know, um, as they uh, sort of went around traveling, preaching and so on. Maybe there was some of the followers, some of the Christians that wanted to invite them around for a meal. There's quite a lot of them. Maybe they've not got enough plates to serve them, but thankfully they've all remembered to bring their plates with them, stored behind their heads here. They're prepared for anything. 
So you can see why Jesus chose these guys, right? Well, perhaps this is somewhat misleading. The Bible doesn't tell us how old the disciples were, but actually, many scholars think, actually, when Jesus chose them, they were maybe early 20s, possibly teenagers when, when, when he chose them. In terms of their occupations, well, the Bible does tell us what some of them did. A number of them were fishermen, so kind of manual laborers, probably quite rugged kind of guys, maybe, maybe a bit uneducated. One of them was a tax collector, so quite an unpopular kind of guy. Another one is described as a zealot, not really a job as such, but somebody who's a bit of a political fanatic, anti-Roman, stirring up a bit of trouble there. So it's a bit of a, an odd bunch, really, isn't it? Anyway, these guys, they followed Jesus. And Jesus commissioned them to preach, preach the, the gospel, really. So the fact that Jesus chose them and he'd commissioned them, that means that there's going to be superstars, right? Well, it didn't really work out quite like that. Often they didn't understand Jesus. They doubted Jesus. And they even denied Jesus. Just to, there's a number of examples I could bring out to, to explain these, but just to bring these out a little bit. Firstly, they didn't understand. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And this is where this farmer is spreading the seed around and the birds come and eat some of the seed. Some of the seeds land on the, the rocky ground and the, the plants struggle to grow. They, they wither. Others get crowded out by thorns. But some of the seed lands on good soil and produces a good crop. But the disciples, they're just like, what? I, I don't understand what you're talking about. And it's talking about you know, the word of God landing in people's hearts and producing a kind of crop um, like that. But they just didn't understand and Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this, how are you going to understand any parable? So they often didn't understand him. Okay, but there's still time to learn, right? But they at least will trust him while they're learning. Well, they, you know, that, that wasn't true either. They doubted Jesus. In Luke 8, we have the account of when they went out on the water in the boat. Jesus had fallen asleep in the boat. And then this, there was this storm. And the disciples, they're sort of panicking. What's going on? What's going on? Jesus, help us. Jesus calms the storm. But he sort of tells them off, really. He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? So these disciples hadn't come to this point of completely trusting him. They doubted him. So they didn't understand. They doubted him. Well, at least they're going to be good evangelists. Well, that even wasn't the case. In, in Luke 22, we have the account of the, the Last Supper. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, you are going to deny me three times. That's not going to happen. Not only is Peter a disciple of Jesus, he's one of the sort of core disciples, one of his real core ones. He's in the inner core. There's no way that he's going to deny Jesus. Yeah, through the passage of time, Jesus is arrested. Three separate occasions, people come to, to Peter and say, you were with that Jesus guy, weren't you? And he's like, no, no, don't know him. Haven't, haven't come across him before. I don't know what, what I'm doing there. I don't know about him. So they didn't understand. They doubted. And they, they denied Jesus. I mean, what's going on? I thought Jesus was supposed to be wise. Has he completely screwed up his choice here of his disciples? Anyway, time goes on. Jesus is crucified. And so these disciples are alone. But then Jesus rises again and he spends time with them. He teaches them. He enlightens them. This is great. But of course, Jesus rises. He ascends into heaven. And so these, are, these guys are alone again. There's 11 of them now. Judas has betrayed Jesus. He's out the picture of them now. And there's about 120 followers at this time. And uh, so that, But they're doing it by themselves. They haven't got um, Jesus with them. Now, Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem because something was going to happen. But there were 11 of them now. They needed to be 12 again. So they were thinking, who can we get to replace Judas? So we think, are oh, these you know, disciples, really holy guys, right? They're going to spend days in prayer and seeking God. Who's going to replace? But in actual fact, what they do is they pick out two guys, Matthias and Barsabbas, and they draw lots to work out who's going to be the sort of the, 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 the 12th one. They draw, basically, they toss a coin. Who is it that's going to be 
the twelfth person. You know, what's, what's going on? Previously, they had Jesus with them, and they were kind of screwing up a bit, but maybe that didn't matter so much because all eyes on Jesus. But now they're stealing, uh, steering the ship, and they're tossing coins to make, make decisions. This is, I mean, in a sense, I can't blame them, but now let's just take stock for a moment. The backgrounds they had just didn't seem to be fitting, really, for this role. They didn't understand Jesus. They doubted him. They denied him. Now they're tossing a coin to make decisions. And then, at some point later, we come to our passage, which describes this mature, well-organized church. Now, this is like chalk and cheese, isn't it? The way they were behaving and how this passage describes them here. So presumably, generations and generations have passed in between these two events, tossing a coin to make decisions and the church. But actually, if you read the passage through, the time in between these two events is about a week, at least to the start of where this passage was was going on. It's a matter of days. They were novices at this. And then we come to this passage where they're acting like a really mature church and full of love and so on. What on earth has happened It's a week later. Well, those of you who know your Bibles will know that in between these two uh, events, Pentecost happened. Jesus had promised that he was going to send this Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. The Holy Spirit came down and all the followers were able to praise God in in different languages. And the other people who weren't followers um, around them, they were all you know, confused. What on earth is going on here? You can't speak my language, but you can now. You're praising God. In, and there was all this confusion. And then Peter addresses the crowd to explain what's going on. He talk comes from the Old Testament, bringing out different prophecies of this, this is what's happening now. And in the, in the middle of this, this kind of sermon, he says this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah you crucified it says and it says that the people there they were cut to the heart and peter tells them repent be baptized be filled with the holy spirit and we're told that there are about three thousand people were added on that day three i mean they've got this, this core group of this this 12 11 12 about the same size as a house group or a growth group and there was about 120 followers in all, so a similar size to us on a Sunday morning. And then 3,000 people are suddenly added on that day. I mean, can you imagine it? Liam's on PA and he's madly thinking, oh, nobody's going to be able to hear. Alex is putting out the extra chairs because there's not for everyone to see. Alvin's serving the tea like Billio. 3,000, can you imagine 3,000 people coming into this? And it's this 3,000 people that's kind of doing this, the 3,000 and growing every day, actually. That this people who had devoted themselves to a life of serving God, getting their heads and hearts around this message of the gospel, of building one another up in the church, of remembering Christ's great sacrifice, and of calling out to God for their every need. They lived a life of love. It says they sold their possessions to make sure that nobody went without. And I was saying before, this felt like a mature church, and it kind of does, doesn't it? But it had only just started. So it was clearly only by the Holy Spirit working in them that I think this was possible. Now, before we move on and dive into this passage and really look at what they were doing, I just want to think. Do you ever not understand? Maybe not, do you ever not understand something in the Bible or not understand and discern what God is doing? Do you ever doubt God? Maybe you've seen him working powerfully multiple times perhaps in the lives of others. Couldn't, no, not in me. No, couldn't do that. Have you even denied him to your friends, your colleagues? I'm certain that, I can't imagine there's a single person for whom at least one of those isn't true. Perhaps all three. And therefore, I want to ask you, do you disqualify yourself because of that? We must realize that our qualification comes from God. 
right? That's really, really important. Before we look at how this church was acting, yes, we have screwed up, we screw up, but our qualification comes from God, our salvation, the, the fact we can receive the Spirit. That's not because of us, that's what God does in, it, as, as, in us, and that's, that's critical, that's key before we dive into looking at what they were doing. So in this passage, we have sort of four key spiritual practices. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They had fellowship. I think that was some good fellowship we had in our group that night. I think we were eating um, Alison's apple cake there. That was a, that's a good way to do fellowship, that was. They devoted themselves to the um, um, breaking of bread and to prayer. All really important things. Now, looking at this, the first thing I note was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. You know, they, their, their hearts have clearly been utterly changed, right? They repented. They turned around. They're walking a new direction now. They're filled with the Holy Spirit to guide them, and they're devoting themselves to this. And firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, of course, at this time, they wouldn't have had any New Testament in their Bibles to read as, as we do. But they did have these 12 apostles who we'd previously called 12 um, disciples. But we said before, you know, these guys, they were tossing a coin to make a decision only a week or two ago sort of thing. So how on earth are they able to bring anything of work? Well, in John 14, Jesus says to them, before he died, obviously, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So these apostles, they're not just sort of making it up, but they're passing on what the Holy Spirit has put in them. And the people around them, they were devoted to this apostles' teaching. And I think I was challenged by that. Because it shows a humility, doesn't it? They were willing to be taught. It wasn't like, well, Jesus is gone. We're going to make our own path now. But they were willing to be taught. They were not puffed up, but they were humble. They were listening. They're willing to put themselves in a position where, excuse me, where uh, God could change them. But now we have this, the Bible, you know, in the New Testament, in the Bible, God's revelation for us. And you know, if we pre- profess to have given ourselves to him, we must listen to him, right? We must obey him. I think it does something when we do that. It puts us in a position where God can change us. You know, we can't really be disciples if we're not listening to him. Next, it points out that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. There were 3,000 of them and, and growing. And through this fellowship, they loved one another. In John 30, in fact, we read it earlier today. You can pick it up, the, the verse for the day. It says... Um, Pick it up when we're doing communion, perhaps. It says, A new command I give you, says Jesus. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So these guys, they'd had Jesus' example. Now they'd received the Holy Spirit. And they're loving one another in in their fellowship. They, They spent time together. They talked together. They were intimate with each other and honest with each other. They worshipped together. It said that they met together in the the temple courts daily. This was an absolute priority for them, fellowship. And it said all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, anyone can attend a church service, but just look at the quality of how they're doing church, if you like. They're completely selfless, aren't they? They're other focused. They loved others. They wanted to glorify God. It wasn't all about them. Next, it said they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the the Lord's Supper. And reading through this, later on in the passage, it says they broke bread in each other's homes and ate together. But we have the Lord's Supper. Is this talking about eating? Or is it talking about doing the Lord's... What is it? And I, the impression I get reading through this was that perhaps doing the Lord's Supper and just spending time and eating together wasn't so distinct. It wasn't some really peculiar ritual that they were doing. But rather it was kind of natural, everyday thing to remember Jesus' death. They were constantly giving thanks and sharing their lives and, and eating together and so on. They were obedient too. Jesus had told them, do this. Remember it to me. You've got to do this. 
They were obedient, but they were full of joy. It said in this passage they had glad and sincere hearts. And I think this is something really that kind of marks out true disciples. They were being obedient, but not just out of a sense of duty. They were glad in, in doing it. They were full of, full of joy. Notice again how they're doing this. They're not getting through these requirements as quick as I can. Get through these requirements in church on a Sunday morning so I can crack on with my own life. This was their life, right? This was their daily passion. This is their daily practice. This was everything. It wasn't just about, I'm a Christian, got to go to church for an hour and a half on Sunday, then weigh it off. This is, this is everything to them, it seemed. Finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. We don't know what they prayed. Maybe they prayed for their own needs, perhaps for the needs of others. Maybe they were um, praying sort of praise to, to God. I'm sure they played some, prayed some amazing prayers. I don't know if it was really eloquent or not, just don't know. But I'm sure they were real and earnest and God-honoring prayers. We just don't really exactly know. But whenever I think about prayer, how, how should we pray, I'm always drawn to the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I love this is because it puts us in the right place with respect to God and brings out a humility. starts out, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's our Father, he loves us, but he's holy. Right? We're not on the same level as, as him, but he still loves us. And then it goes on to talk about that it's his will that we're cheering on, not ours. We're dependent on him for our physical needs and our spiritual needs. We need his mercy. We need his grace because we are sinners. I just love this because the whole way through, it is putting us in the right place with respect to God. You have to be humble, really, when we're praying. Just like with the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to that. They were humble because they wanted to listen. These four key pillars, requirements, yes, maybe, but look at how they're doing it, not just for requirements or even best practice. It's not just about rotors or, you know, it's important to serve in church, but time, how important is time with these things, getting to know one another? Are we too too busy to invite others round? We live in such an individualistic culture, don't we? But the culture, as is presented here, this togetherness in the church, it's, it's quite a stark difference, isn't it? Such a stark difference that, for me at least, this is quite a challenge. You know, which, which of these two cultures that am I going to adhere to? The one that's presented in this passage or the one that's presented by society? It's so, it's so stark in this day and age. It, it forces a decision, I think, for that. I'm hungry to see this passion that this early church had, but not just rustling up a passion just for the, the sake of it, but rather to be humble and open to God, and then he changes us. And out the outflowing of that changing of him is what I think will bring up passion um, that we see in these people here. So thinking now about the ongoing kind of existence and purpose of the church. So we had this group of no-hopers, really, and they're now leading this large group, this group who's devoted to this new way of life. And we could say to them, right, you're doing great. Now you're all set to strike out on your own with the Holy Spirit. But we have to be careful with saying things like that, I think. If we read the last sentence here, does it say people became Christians every day? Or does it even say that the Lord saved people every day? What it says is the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He added to their number. And I think it's critical. It's critical not just that we point, come to a point of repentance, not just that we're saved, not just that we receive the Holy Spirit, but it's also critical that we are added. We're added to this group that you know, we now call the church. We were never meant to go it alone, to, to forge our own path. They were added, and so must we be. If you know and love the Lord, it's important that you're not just saved, but you are saved and added. The church is a place where we can thrive in our walk with Christ. From our passage where we can hear the gospel preached, 
where we can have fellowship with one another and, and share our hearts, where we can pray with one another and collectively take part in communion, remembering Christ and his sacrifice. We might say to ourselves, well, you know, we know that nobody saves them. God saves us. Therefore, why do I need to bother with the church? Because I've already said that you know, it's God that, that does it. But we're built into the church for a reason. The Bible gives us clear instructions that we are to build one another up. So we're spurred on in our Christian walk. It tells us that we are to instruct one another so we don't go off the rails with some crazy ideas. It tells us to comfort one another because no matter what strife or stress we're going through, we have this hope that one day Christ will return and we will be with him forever, forever. And this one anothering is all the way through the New Testament. We talked before about the 12 disciples and I guess we're kind of his disciples now and we are to disciple one another, to help one another follow Christ. So I think it's right and natural that we are devoted to this church of God. We're brought into this community of the church. Of course we want to to know him better, to read and to pray together, to have fellowshipping, fellowship together. But with this one anothering, thinking about church, thinking about my salvation, we can start to think about how, how the church, how salvation, how that benefits me. But I don't think that's supposed to be our motivation here, really. We worship God because we want to bring him glory. We said it before in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your will be done. It's that that we're cheering on. We want God's name to be recognized with the awe and majesty that it it deserves. That's where our hearts should be. We want to see God glorified in our own lives. But more than that, we want to see God glorified in the lives of of others. And the church is a place where the gospel can be preached so that others may know of God's grace, which will then bring more glory to God, more people with lives changed. The church is a place where people can be, people can be sent out to reach the lost because nobody can save themselves and show, that, that, show a life and a, a love of God, which is just changes everything. It's revolutionary. This is the incredible calling of the church to make that known. So God's glory is revealed in in our lives as we're added to the church. And we see it increasingly in the church as it is built by God. And the gospel spreads around the world and around communities. But you know, it doesn't even end there. There's this verse in Ephesians 3, which I find to be a mysterious verse, actually, But it's an amazing verse. It says this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find this amazing, but mysterious. The church is demonstrating God's wisdom on earth, but also in the heavenly realms, too. We get a sort of a glimpse of the, the bigger picture here that maybe you don't fully understand. And this is just amazing, really. We, we don't really have a clue. We're so undeserving. Yet God chooses to demonstrate his wisdom through us. Jesus said, I will build my church. And what a privilege it is to be part of that So just recapping what we've covered, Jesus chose this motley crew, right, with no background to merit their roles, but yet he chose them. They weren't intelligent enough to understand, they lacked faith, and they even denied him. Yet Jesus commissioned them to spread the gospel around the world. They had no clue how to operate without Jesus. Yet God sent his Holy Spirit to teach and to guide them. God took people who were responsible for Jesus' death, yet he transformed their hearts into worshippers, people who loved him and loved one another. And now God uses the church, you 
and me to display his wisdom throughout all creation, both natural and supernatural. I mean, what an amazing story of the church. It's amazing, isn't it? I think if we understood, really understood this, then this practice of submitting to the apostles' teaching, of loving one another in fellowship, of remembering Christ's death and praying in a manner that glorifies him, I think this would just be natural, really. Do you know, I don't know if we'll ever live in a community exactly like the one we've just read, but going through that just makes me so grateful, so grateful for the church, so grateful for the, the universal church, but so grateful for this church here in Farnham in Jubilee. I'm so grateful for the people here in Jubilee who've encouraged me, supported me, who've loved me, who've prayed with and prayed for me. I trust that you We'll find that too. Now, a little later, we're going to spend some time in communion, putting some of this in practice, in prayer, in fellowship, and so on. But before we do that, I think we're going to spend a bit of time taking part in the Remembrance Day activity. So I'll hand back over to Neil. Thank you, Dave. Wow. There is power in the word. Amen. So encouraging, Dave. Thank you for that. I'm really looking forward to us being able to press in and to, you know, to, to seek that as we uh, come to break bread and pray together. Um, but I want to take a moment first for us to, to pause as it's uh, you know, remembering Armistice Day. It was yesterday. And um, there's two things that I want us to do together. One, I want us to really press in first in remembrance. Right, that's the first thing I want us to do is we're going to spend some time to remember those that have given of themselves or continue to give in service of the country in which we live. And it's just a chance for us to try and imagine what, and, and empathize with what those people have experienced, what they've gone through. And the other thing I want us to do, I want us to press in, and I want you to join me in praying for peace together this morning. I don't know about you, as I come this morning, God, I was so encouraged by Dave's word, do not understand. Feel like that this morning. Does anyone else feel like this morning with the conflict in, in Israel and Gaza? And you're just feeling, oh God, what how do I pray into this? What what is your what is your will in this situation, Lord? I found that really challenging. And I've been wrestling with that. But I want us to encourage us this morning as we come to do that by coming back to the word. It says, if we look in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So I just want to encourage you, if you feel unsure, you're not sure, you know, as, you, as we press in and pray this morning, I just want you to know a groan is good. A groan is okay. But before we get in and pray for peace, I really want us to try to remember those that have given of themselves. And here at Jubilee, um, some uh, may know that Danny is in the RAF and serves actively. We also have Selorm who serves, uh, and he is in the, I have to get this right because he, uh, he gave me a specific title, so I not get it wrong. Not that, not that he was concerned that I get it wrong, but more me. So he uh, is in the 17 Port and, and uh, Maritime Regiment, the Royal Logistics Corps in Southampton, where he is a squadron uh, sergeant major. And so I just feel so blessed to have the honor of him being able to share with us uh, an opportunity to come in to Remembrance together. So I'm going to share a, a video. <clears throat> we'll have... Uh, him just share a little introduction and then we'll have a bugle, a bugle play uh, where he is helping to coordinate a service this morning. Um, so it's not a live recording, but um, one that he's recorded specially for us, don't we feel blessed? Uh, and then there'll be a moment of space. And I was just reminded how, do you remember as we were bringing our Vision Sunday, Sean was caught, challenging us to, to come back to Jesus weeping. I just feel like this is a moment just for us to try and imagine what those that have been 
in that place. And I know there's, lot, there's going to be lots of emotions rolling around with all that's happening outside of us. But I just want us to try as best we can to come back to those individuals and to be uh, just connecting with what they've given of themselves. Those that may have served in the past, given of themselves, maybe family members that you know. So is that okay? We'll press in. If you'd like to stand. Let's spend a few moments to remember together. Dear Jubilee, I'd like you to join me in honouring our fallen, both military and civilian. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not worry them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them.
When you go home, tell them of us and say, for their tomorrow we gave out today. Well, we ask for those that are in, in a current role of service, Lord, or that have served, that your peace be with them, Lord, that they know your presence. Amen. Please take a seat. So I want to move on to our second topic and to pray for peace. We're just going to spend a couple of minutes. Um, and as we do this, I just want to come back to a, the scripture that I read earlier. And if I come back to the part, the couple of verses before that. So it's in Romans 8. It says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right from the, the, to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption to, our, to sonship. The remembrance of our bodies. Sorry, the uh, redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is, is not, it's hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already seen? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I want us to come and pray for peace it, it isn't new that there is suffering in the world around us and it doesn't mean that God's ch plan has changed I want us to come back and to, and to pray for peace together and as we pray I think the thing I've struggled with is that peace is both something we want in the conflict isn't it we want resolution and peace in the conflict we also know that God works through us in peace, doesn't he, as, as he gives us his spirit. And peace is a personal thing that we bring. It also says in 1 Peter uh, 3, verse 11, when it talks about the characteristics of the church, of, of God's people, it says they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So my ask this morning is, are you ready to seek and to pursue peace together and to also pray for peace in the conflicts? So we're just going to have a moment to pause. As we've read in the scriptures there, God it will meet with us when we, even if we can only groan in the situation. I want you to consider, is there a place that you want to offer up for prayer, for peace? Is there a person that you've been in conversation this week that is struggling to see and, and struggling in, you know, to find peace in the current situation? So let's just take a moment for you to respond and then I'll close for us in prayer. Lord, we thank you that though we do not understand, Lord, we know that you are the Lord of all, and you're also the Prince of Peace. Lord, we ask for resolution of conflict. Lord, we, we ask for the sparing of innocent lives.
We ask for your justice, Lord, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. So we're going to, I'm going to ask the band to come up and Dave to come up and we're going to step into a time of communion together. Thank you, Neil. It's good to remember and we're grateful for those among us who serve. Um, yeah, we're going to move on to a, a time of uh, communion now. Um, the band are going to play a song or two in the background. And in that time, please feel free to come up. This is our first week where we've done away with the, the kind of COVID capsules. We have got some individual little... Um, some, some wine and there's some juice, as you prefer. And there's some bread here, too. Um, but what I um, would really like is, you know, come up when the time is right for you. But as perhaps as you go back to your seats, please can you talk with others around you? People you've come with, your family, your friends, maybe keep an eye out if there's somebody by themselves. Will you talk with them? Share what's going on with one another. What's going on in your life? Have some fellowship. It'd be great if you can pray together. These are important things, right? We're told to do these things, but it's for a reason, okay? It's, uh, I love the, uh, the, the kind of guidance that the Bible gives us in these things. It's so helpful for us. I'll read out a quick passage. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for your love, your mercy, your grace, Lord God. We're so grateful for your sacrifice. As we come to this now, we don't want to do it just out of form and ritual, Lord, but we do it to remember you and open our hearts to you. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church here, Jubilee and Farnham. Lord, be continually changing our hearts to be more loving towards you and towards one another. Bring us into that really deep fellowship, Lord. We want to be honoring and glorifying to you in that, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'll hand over to the band, but when you're ready, please come up and take some bread and some wine.
God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. times. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God reigns. Hallelujah. God reigns. Forever all my days. Hallelujah. One more time. continue to worship. I just encourage you, it's great to hear the and see people joining, praying together as we share communion. I just encourage you as we come in and we just press in to worship as we finish our service today. We've got a week ahead of us, haven't we? Let's start our week as we praise and we seek and we align ourselves with God and what he's doing. So let's lift our eyes to hope we have in him. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands, his feet 
my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Let's sing, oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Let's sing that again. I praise the name. The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. I praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Shall peace and night, 
declare you what a beautiful name what a beautiful name what a beautiful hope Lord because of what you've done because of what you're doing and what you'll do Lord thank you for being with us this morning Lord for your presence amongst us Lord we go in the hope of what you have for us Lord and peace be with us this week amen amen, amen. thank you